Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Would you mind giving a quick intro about how you got into this? What's your background? Um, so my background is, and hi everybody, hello. Um, uh, my background is is that I started my my career in the natural health industry. I got a job in a health food store when I was 15 years old, and I just fell in love with the entire idea that your food is your medicine, and there were supplements and everything. And then um, I opened up a health food store when I was 20, and one of um, one of one of the first my first experiences with with hemp was Charles Holmes who has left us recently and he's one of our pioneers he walked into my store with a bag one of the first generation bags of hemp protein and he explained to me what Ediston protein was what omega-3-6 was and how it was this absolutely perfect food and being the hippie I was I fell in love with it I remember this because it was it was first it was generation one hemp protein so it was really gritty and so as soon as he left I grabbed the hemp protein I scooped it up and I put it in water and I drank it down and it was dirt, like tasted like dirt, but I still fell in love with it as a product. And it has been one thing throughout all of my research with natural health and all of the crazy hippie things I've done. Hemp food has always been part of it. And I mean, I truly believe that we, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects to this plant and, you know, Canada has really made themselves a market with the food and the food is so important for us, not just for us, for our animals, for everything. We need to eat this. This was our first crop. Um, and so anyway, further on to that, I, I owned a health food store for 15 years and then I graduated. I became a manufacturer. I had my own supplement company. Graduated. Um, yeah, of course. You're an entrepreneur. You go from place to <laughs> Um, and with that, I really learned how to do product development and how, you know, you don't just take an idea. You have to take an idea to market. That means packaging. That means figuring out barcodes. That means figuring out regulations, figuring how to get it onto store shelves. And so when I left my store and my manufacturing company, I started working with Hempco. I was their first innovation lead. I was developing all of their products and everything. And from, once again, idea to final packaged product. And I think that that's really important because it's not something you teach in school. Like, you know, I, I used to always say as an entrepreneur, it's like you fake it till you make it, right? And I kind of learned that part of things. And so now in my job as, I actually like to say, I work for a plant. And my boss is a plant, you know, and sometimes she's good to me, sometimes she's bad to me, but either way, I'm stuck with her as a boss. Um, I help bring companies and countries to market. Okay, so I want to back it up because your last statement that you just said, you help bring companies and countries to market, I want to dive into. So, um, but before, I, this is a topic that comes up a lot. Why hemp-based protein? Why plant-based protein? What about the hemp protein is... Is it more digestible? Is it? Can you kind of give some facts that you are familiar with and aware of around the? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
form protein. So normally we, did, we, we digest protein, we take protein into our bodies and we turn it into the amino acids, then we turn it into our own protein, right? And that is our muscles and our, our body. Well, hemp is the most biologically similar protein to ours, which means it's actually the most biologically available. You know, I, I'm not a fan of soy. I don't, I, you know, and plant-based proteins, we need to understand that not like not all plant-based proteins are the same. And hemp protein has the ability for us to digest it better. It has the right balance of fat, which fat is important. And so for me, it's it's not, I mean, I it's not necessarily an alternative. In, in, like, you know, I, I, I'm not a vegetarian. Um, but I believe that it is a it, it is a perfect food that we can assimilate and we can use, and so can our animals. This is really important. You know, I worked in Paraguay. We can talk about that later. But what I've seen is is you know we grow GMO soy to feed our animals rather than a perfect food that is omega three. I mean, hemp is the only food that has the perfect ratio of omega three and six. You know, it is this bioavailable protein that we can digest and we can eat readily and it grows like a weed. So that makes sense. Weird, weird name. <laughs> I actually saw a call out and I've got to give a shout out, but it's interesting. I saw this the other day in a, in a newsletter that there's a big call for feral weed. You know, people are looking for what's naturally growing all over, right? And this just goes back to like it it's something that has grown as ditchweed our whole lives in all different parts of our country. And here we've got this food source and all of these resources, right? And you and I were talking a little bit earlier and what I actually got goosebumps because it really it hits me at how impactful we can be to areas like Paraguay or Africa or you know, Latin America, these smaller countries, underserved countries. And so can you talk a little bit about work that's being done on a global scale? And then what does it mean to take a country to market or um, yes. Okay. So I've had the luck and the beauty to, especially in 2019, in 2020 changed a bit of things, but I'm um, in 2019, I traveled to almost 20 different countries, um, educating on hemp and planting it. I, you know, I got to see Bologna and, uh, it was beautiful in Bologna. They even have this 400 year old fresco and it said cannabis protectio is because cannabis was their, their, their textiles. It was yeah. their building is capital protection, right? Um, but, you know, globally, this is the world's most popular plant, right? Everybody knows what the leaf is, whether they think about it in one way or the other, you know. Um, I happen to think that actually um, our, our plant had a protection mechanism built into it because nobody really knew that it was something you could smoke before reefer madness came out, right? Um, and then what ended up happening is, is that it all went underground, but we as humans saved the seeds because of that, you know, and further to what you were talking about with the ditchweed stuff, I collect cannabis strains from around the world. I, you know, and this is my passion is trying to find the best hemp strains possible. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's like, I have the coolest little seed collection. Yeah. See, you've got so much. I just want to be you when I grow up. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, I actually, for the, I said, I said before I work for a plant, yeah. you know, she, as soon as you just give yourself the opportunity, and this is, this is my spiritual side, as soon as you self give yourself the opportunity to say, this is what I do, she'll reward. And, but I still, yeah, no, but collecting all that feral hemp, 
is actually how we're going to read, not even regenerate, remember. We're just remembering this plant right now. It's nothing, nothing that we're doing right now is new. We've done this for 5,000 years. This is the oldest cultivated crop in history. And so we're just remembering it. And it's in the ditch, it's in the ditches, it's all over the place. And yes, yeah, so, um, sorry, I got a little bit off track. We were talking globally. Um, so yeah, anyway, point is, is I actually collect ditchweed from all the, around the world. So if anybody has ditchweed, hook me up. I'm all into yes. it. Yes. Have some myself. So. Okay, okay. I love it, mm -hmm. love it, love it. Okay, so talking about taking mark, like industries to market. Well, okay. I'm curious, or not industries, I'm sorry, countries, right? And then, because we talk a lot about taking companies to market, but again, back to what's really impactful, what we can do to feed our people or feed the animals, like we said, is even more important because that's what feeds us. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious from you. Um, so I, there's one thing that I found out being a, being a supplement manufacturer before is going through regulation. And I mean, regulation is, it's got many different facets to it. And, you know, one thing that Canada has done, Canada being one of the first countries to legalize even for, you know, cannabis, even for smoking is that, the, you know, there's a certain path that we have to follow in order to do it right. And so, um, with our company, Abri Advanced Botanical and Biomass Research Institute, we, we consult with different countries who are planning on legalizing, whether they just want to do medical or they just want to do industrial or where they want to go on the scale. We advise them through regulatory, through the fact that, I mean, I've been working in South America now for two years and a lot of people don't realize that South America, it, like everybody thinks weed grows everywhere. And especially people think that, you know, weed would grow in maybe, no, the cartel areas and stuff. Well, the fact is, is it's a North, Northern Hemisphere crop. It's actually not that easy to grow. And so, you know, it's sourcing the seeds, figuring, telling people how to harvest it. Because, I mean, I've, we've taken down combines many times because it's a strong plant. And, and guiding people through to the point, I mean, you know, this is, as we were saying before, this is a global startup. And I had, I do, from my experience of opening up a store when I was 20, which I mean, it was, it was a lot of work. I, I remember promising myself I would never actually get into a startup ever again. And then, and, and then I convinced myself when I started my manufacturing company that it wasn't a startup because I already had a business. And then that, yeah. Then when I left that, I get into the biggest global startup in the entire world. And, you know, startups, they are literally start up. And so there is these countries that are legalizing and we have to, you know, not even just like, you know, we don't want the government to, to do it wrong. We want them to do it in a way that's going to benefit the industry that they're going to be building. You know, we, we don't want them to just legalize THC and forget about hemp. You know, that's happened many times. We've consulted with countries that, you know, they've decided to go for medical marijuana and we're like, why don't you grow for rope or food first? Or and what you're already exporting. Like that's something too, when I went into some of these countries and I start talking about what we're doing, right? Is like, let's look at what their main exports already are and how hemp plays a major role in that supply chain or cost or sustainability or... In or some of these industries that they're major exports that are no longer providing them with a windfall. Like, you know, yes. some of the commodity crops like sugar, you yes. know, and how can we 
in and we can move it in. You know, I like to think that, you know, when we go to a country and we, we see what the industry is, um, my passion is actually in herbal medicine and understanding the countries before. So I look at their culture. I look at their cultural products that they make, you know, um, how they how they make paper and how they did it traditionally and try to basically go, Let's fit some hemp in here. Let's fit some hemp in here and make it um, make it a viable industry rather than just let's plant it and let's sell it. That doesn't work. As much as we want this to be um, all about the way it makes me feel, right? That's obviously what's driving my passion. That really has got to be business, and so that's what's so exciting. Is I feel like for the first time I can say the word sustainability and profitability in the same sentence. Right. And I can bring major opportunity that we haven't been able to before. And when I first got into this, I can't tell you how many investors said, oh, yeah, but hemp, um, are they tree huggers? Like, they don't want to talk if it's a, you know, a loss because of the stigma, I guess, the loss of profitability around sustainability. And so uh, I'm really excited to see that. What's your opinion? I like your Oh no, it's just, it always blows my mind is because people think that sustainability is not profitable, but you have a plant where you can literally grow the plant, put it into a processing facility and you get food, medicine, rope, textile, building, you know, whatever you name it, batteries, whatever you need to do. You know, so it's it's actually a very profitable product if you do it right. I mean, you know, we saw the 2018 come out and that everybody exploded into CBD. You know, we're going to get $21,000 a kilo for all this different CBD. And it was like, but that's only this part of it, right? It's this tiny part of it. So. Yes. Yes. Well, there's still tons of comments coming in. Okay. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about some of the real opportunity, right? Understanding how challenging it could be or can be to grow in, especially with the Southern Hemisphere. Right. Talk to me about um, opportunities for the countries that you're working with, you know, to be explored. Um, well, you know, working in Paraguay, I was really intrigued with it because they were already into the natural health industry, you know, and uh, supplying chia, supplying flax, and they understood that market. But once again, that's a very tiny little market. Um, one of the things that I'm passionate about is, you know, actually currently I'm in Nicaragua. I'm sweating my ass off. Um, <laughs> Nicaragua. I am too, and I'm only in Utah, so... <laughs> Oh yeah, but but is the ability to build something that will actually take take down air conditioning, um, air, because you know you have you have something that breathes, and then we remove the burden that air conditioning has on the grids. And if you live in South America, you know the the power goes out, you know, and you're going to need to have something that that is an alternative. And so I think that that and the building opportunity is actually I think the biggest thing. I mean. Food is my passion, but especially in South America, you know, they usually build in these these brick houses that that obviously they don't need insulation like they do in Canada. We need a lot of that, but they build in these brick houses that don't breathe. They take down the power grid, and you know, we can develop things that way. I think that that's really important. Also, you know, there's these countries that have done. Um, a bunch of, uh, you know, developing paper and then, you know, they're cutting down the rainforests. Well, those facilities still exist. We can actually 
integrate those facilities. And instead of taking down our beautiful rainforest, people were not supposed to cut down trees. I'm just going to say that as a, and the trees are there for a different reason. We need to leave the trees and develop something else. And we can use existing facilities in order to integrate them into hemp. And then, you know, what I've noticed in my, in my career in hemp is that there's no shortage of people who want to grow hemp and there's no shortage of people who want to buy hemp. Everybody wants hemp. It's the problem. And everybody wants U.S. hemp, even though right now it's more expensive. Well, I find everybody wants Canadian hemp. So we have Canadian a Canadian hemp thing going on. <laughs> That's fair. But it's amazing to me that right there goes back like people are looking for certain products that are sourced or grown ethically um, as solutions. Yeah, this is, but this makes sense. This is natural. You know, this is the most amazing thing about this plant is when they come back to us remembering hemp is we're not doing anything new. We're just going back to what we, what we wanted. And so that's the, it's not even just market demand. It's human appeal. Like it just makes sense. Like, I mean, even, you know, for somebody who works in the hemp industry, I have very few have very few pieces of hemp clothing which pisses me off, right? Because we should, I should have more, but it's hard to find. And then when I find a hemp shirt and you wear it, it breathes, you know, it, it, it doesn't shrink. It, it stands like, you know, I travel around the world. It stands the test of time and laundry and whatever I'm doing around the world. I like, but it's something that we naturally just are inclined to want to work with. Right, we're inclined to want to have. You talk to you find me any human being in the world and say, "What kind of paper do you want? You want it, trees or hemp?" They're gonna say hemp. As right? long as they understand it. Okay, so let me ask you this because I'm really running in still where I live to this major disconnect to what hemp is. Um, here's a good example, right? And being somebody that eats, breathes, and sleeps it for the last three years and being new to the industry still. I've seen a big shift nationally from the high and low THC, you know, cannabinoid or flower plant to more of the industrial applications. But this week when I was in an event in Utah, it was, it was like we were five years behind in the topics we were talking about and addressing, not around those things, but there was zero discussion outside of the panels I was involved in around the industrial applications. And so my question is, you know, what still is needed, and, and you're probably really running into this still, as you enter new territories, new regions, new countries that are just legalizing, it, what, is, what is that, like, what is that disconnect, or what's really working to bridge that gap? Okay, well, it's kind of interesting, and this is my perspective on it, is actually what kept hemp in our brains, which was the THC part of things, yeah. is actually what's preventing us from teaching people what it was really about, right? You know, so, I mean, it's kind of like, if we just think about it as a survival mechanism that now we're no longer in survive mode, we need to move to thrive mode. And so um, what I think it is, I mean, you know, I remember being at one company and I'm giving out hemp hearts as a, I, I, I developed a product and it was, you know, something we put on food and it was hemp hearts. And everybody in the company was giggling because they thought they were going to get high, right? And so, and and, and this is comes back to when I was telling you about my introduction into this is when I fell in love with hemp, I fell in love with it as a food source. I thought that, that was actually where it needed to be. And so if we can move forward from this, it comes from education. It comes from exactly what you're doing, Han. 
you know, we're going to talk about it, you know, and, and it comes more and more. The countries that I go to, they don't giggle anymore. You know, they, they understand that there is a difference and this is the time that it takes. Look at what happened to this plant. Like this plant was under prohibition censorship for over a hundred years. It's going to take us a bit of time to explain what it is again. In just my time. Opinion, I think we missed the shot big time. Okay. Let me rephrase this. I think it is in the best benefit to have entered this industry through the food and grain aspect instead of the, the THC or high THC. However, I am insanely grateful. Like you said, it's what's kept it at the front of our mind and it's what's gotten us to where we are, you know, because it's what pulls on our heartstrings so fast, right? If, if my child, I immediately impact my own heart or, or we impact somebody's personal experience very quick when we're talking about their children. It's very different. Nutrition is something that's, it's, it's a before and a preparation and a, you know, security instead of a fix afterwards. And so it is, I'm, I'm very grateful and I'm very thankful for, for it. But I've said for the last couple of years, man, we really shot our arrow the wrong direction in building an industry. You know, I remember um, when, um, Charles Holmes. So this was how I was introduced. This is 20 years ago. He's walking in with that horrible, dirty tasting hemp protein, Gen 1. You know? um, and then he explained to me that this is, a, this is the exact same protein we build in our bodies. It's the exact same ratio of omega-3 and omega-6. You know, we hear these things where we need omega fatty acids. We don't understand that if we don't get them in the right balance, we're actually not going to absorb them. And like all these things about hemp protein, it being high in magnesium, can't sleep, you need magnesium, high in fiber. Interesting fact, actually, the hemp hull is like 80% pectin. And pectin is an amazing binder for heavy metals and for fibers. Like it's, 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 it's so perfect. And that's what really drew me to it was because, you know, if we talk about countries like Africa, even South America, we don't have this in the Northern hemisphere, but there's cassava or mandioca, which is this root that grows and it's very, very high caloric and it's starchy, right? And that's what they're using to feed the world. That's like giving everybody diabetes. You know, so if we can actually come through and, and educate people that, okay, we need to just, you know, we just feed this because it's not just about feeding the world. It's about feeding the world correctly. You know, 90% of the problems we have with an illness in the world can be fixed with food. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Not CBD. I mean, I'm a fan of CBD. Oh, I got to tell you this. So in my research recently, um, I, I've been researching because my passion now is to educate people on the fact that animals need to have this. And we think that animals need to have the grain. But if we feed the leaves as fodder. So I found all these studies because people are trying to figure out if you feed hemp to animals, will it get you? Will, will your steak get you high? Which Yeah. Or will it stack up cannabinoids and then pass that on or whatever? remains is THCA and CBDA, which are the non-psychoactive components that are decarboxylated and that's where you get the true medicine. So I happen to believe, you know how we talk about the fact that there's the endocannabinoid system? Yeah. And it was we and, and so it makes sense as we evolved, we were around this plant and then we depended on it. Right. Like we needed it. Like cannabinoids are an essential nutrient. But I mean, I'm a really, really good hippie, like ridiculously good hippie. I eat a lot of grain stuff. 
and I still could probably not get enough CBD. I, mean, I, I probably do. I mean, I eat in the fields and stuff like that. But so how did we develop an endocannabinoid system? We developed it because we fed it to our animals and then we ate our animals, right? And animals, I mean, if you've had a hemp fed pork, wow, it's amazing. It's, I'm, shout out to anybody that's listening right now. Go look up the difference on, or and I'm going to start gathering. I'm working very diligently um, with a couple of people to start gathering more data and support the existing data that's already pulled for Hemp Feed Coalition and for organizations that are studying this. But the appearance of the beef or the feed or the eggs is, in the fish, it's night and day difference. And when I was in Dorica, when Carl was down there this last time, and I was just like get a pit in my stomach when you drive by their cattle fields or when you drive by their livestock and how readily available hemp could be for feed for their, for, yeah. It's just like, it, what, what kills me is that we feed all of our animals GMO soy. Soy, acts, soy is a phytoestrogen. It acts as a hormone. You know, the only hormones we should have are the hormone hormones we produce, not these. And so, I mean, the myriad of health effects that happen just from not feeding our animals correctly. And you're right. They are so much healthier. I have fed egg, you know, we, we actually, and that's how we get our nutrition. We're naturally going to eat animals, but also like what happens to these animals who are fed this crap food? Don't we want our animals to live a good life? Because if they live a good life and they give their life for us, then we have this possibility of, you know, getting better nutrition through that. But I, I, I happen to believe I'm, I'm a big fan of hemp as a grain to be fed, but I think we need to push for hemp as fodder. And because that's the way it was. They, and once again, it doesn't convert. It doesn't convert. When you eat a steak, you're getting CBDA and THCA, which is 10,000 times more potent. Won't get you high because, you know, the THCA, you require decarboxylation, but you're getting all those antioxidants in your meat. Imagine if your meat was, was like something that would help cure your cancer. Wow. Right? Or... You know, I say this too. I actually, when I first got into this industry, this was like what really blew my mind. I came home and you should have heard the conversation I was having with my children. But, um, you know, why aren't our cattle or our animals getting all these autoimmune diseases? Right. And so I look at I look at the medicine and the things we're being fed and they're being fed and the science around it and understanding we have solutions that have been treating them all along that now we could be using or should be using on ourselves. And then coming back to so much of it's curable with cannabis. Like again, it goes back to the nutrition or food is medicine. Like Robert said, right? This is, this really is the medicine. Nutrition really is the backbone and the start. And yeah. Actually go further. Cause I do love food is the medicine, but hemp is the tool. The only reason that human beings evolved is because we had the ability to make tools, right? We find that in archaeology with arrowheads and all that stuff. What was our greatest tool? It was actually this plant. It was the first domesticated crop. 
You know, it was, it was, you know, what we used for clothing. We don't even know what we use because the most beautiful thing about it is, is that, you know, 10,000 years or 5,000 years ago, it ended up biodegrading. So there's your sustainability right there, you know, and we built this tool to be able to, to do these things and we need our tool back. Oh, absolutely. Right. This is what's, and it's funny just now when you said, you know, that we don't know, isn't it? said to be true and i've had a couple people that we've interviewed that have put some pretty big stiff facts out about like the oldest buildings have hemp in them and the oldest mummy wraps are made of hemp and you know so we look at the biodegradability but we look at what it did for sustainability and for the longevity or the structure of the bodies and the buildings and so forth yeah, you know, I mean, I as you mentioned before, my partner is Carl Martel, and you know his ultimate goal. I know we love Carl. Carl is our everybody our loves Carl. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I, but but understand. Okay, so we named the company um, Advanced Botanicals and Biomass. He's biomass. I'm botanicals. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but you know, he his goal is is to develop and find out what Roman concrete was. Right. These things that we did that have standed the test of time. Like I had a chance to go see Chichen Itza um, a little while ago. And like, that is amazing. I actually walked in and went, oh, yeah, that looks like that was built by aliens. Like, whoa, (laughs) you know, that is so amazing that, you know, how that we could do that. And that was mostly lime, you know, which is our component of hempcrete. And these are the things that we worked with because we're not something, you know, what kind of blew my mind being being in the natural health industry is when I realized in order to patent a pharmaceutical, you need to prove that it's never existed on earth before. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense as to how that's going to be a medicine to me. Well, right? Because uh, this is something I get into. I'd actually would love to have this discussion sometime about where we're at as far as the cannabinoid market and patent the cannabinoids in each of these, right? Because how was Big Pharma able to grab a hold of CBD, right? And my understanding is because it was not on the market as a nutraceutical or a vitamin first. No, it's because they were able to fill out the forms correctly. You know, this is the whole thing about the FDA. do with it. It just has to do with the fact that they were able to fill out the forms correctly and we're the natural health industry. I happen to, I like, I don't like any of the separation of cannabinoids or all this other stuff is well, like that's that patent. That's what makes it patentable, right? Is breaking it down to an isolate, a single molecule. And then, which is stupid. That's not the way it should be. Like my best, once again, you know, being a hippie, I grow hemp in my backyard and, you know, people think I'm growing this massive weed plant. It's like, no, you can try to smoke that. Look look how you, cranberry, you can go to the counter. I actually had somebody else I interviewed that gave a really good perspective, right? He was having some problems and whatever the nutrient was he needed is in cranberries, right? And he said, you can either go to the pharmacy and buy a pill or go buy cranberries and cranberry juice and, you know, and so I think that that just, which one's going to work better. Yeah. Yeah. There are, they, this isn't just in the cannabis industry. This is happening. It's in all of our vitamins and nutrients and things like that. It's a matter of now who's gotten a hold of it. And it's because it's, there's money in it, right? There's opportunity. And so they see this opportunity to capitalize on it. And yeah, go ahead, Erin. Yeah, I mean, and they don't understand the whole idea around what our food should be. You know, like, um, so when you come down to what is an essential nutrient, right? We have our vitamins, we have our amino acids, we have our omega 
get fatty acids. And so I, start, I, I presented this paper to the UN a couple of years ago. Um, and what I was basically making the claim is, is that can, cannabinoids are an essential nutrient because a cannabinoid is released at the point of conception. All right, it, a cannabinoid is actually required for the egg to attach to the uterine wall. You give me an example of how much more essential that is. Right. right. Um, and so, um, but from that point, I made this argument that, you know, we should have it as a food. And then I went further into it because I'm a really big herbal geek and, um, and figured out that. Um, so, no, what I was talking about was if you go into human history and you look at things like kava kava, which is a spiritual herb from um, Polynesia, or you look at turmeric, which is a cornerstone of Ayurveda, they all communicate with the cannabinoid system and a cannabinoid system. So what it means is that human beings are naturally drawn to what we need. You know, like an animal will find the herb it needs and they, I mean, animals won't eat things that are bad for them in the wild. So, you know, it right. just means that we're attracted to this stuff. We've tried to, again, use gave me goosebumps because it was just kind of an aha moment to me in, like it literally dropped me to my knees one day when I realized when plastics and hemp crossed right? When plastic started to take off and the hemp, hemp really dove, dove down. And here we've had this solution this whole time. And we as humans have stepped in the way of our own development um, or security or housing or anything that we want to put it on any of the 17 sustainability goals that we're now addressing, right? We've had this solution for. And Last week, I interviewed a young lady and we went over those 17 sustainability goals. And again, I was taken back at where hemp plays a role in every single one of them and not a little role, a massive role in its impact. And so, yeah, I go back to the value that you add to a country and helping to bring them to market. Right. What would you say those countries are? Um, what is the biggest hurdle that they have to overcome that may be different from Canada or the U.S. that are much more established economically? The government? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry. Um, once again, the did not expect that, but you're right. <laughs> it's the government. Um, but once again, there's no shortage of people who want to grow it or have to do it. But actually, this I would second to that is the processing. And I'm not saying about processing it into plastics or processing right. it into the further products. I mean, the basic decortication, hulling, extraction, all those basic things that give us the basic supplies. Because one of the things I absolutely love about this plant is it's the most entrepreneurial plant I've ever seen. You know, people want to make stuff out of it, but we need to get like these countries that we work with. I mean, it's been frustrating to explain this because everybody wants to capture their market. It's like, well, why don't you just start with the basic raw material and then you let everybody else create, you know, one amazing, I remember I was in Australia and we were meeting with this group of uh, Aboriginals and this guy came to me. He's like, once we grow hemp, I'm going to make my traditional fishing nets from it. And I was like, exactly. That's what it's about. Once we have it, we're going to make stuff out of it because it was our humanity's greatest tool. And essential. Like those types of things become essential to a small community, right? And it makes it so that they can pull water further or whatever 
I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to even talk about this because I, I am so removed. I am, I lived, I live in Utah. I, I grew up with a great family. I was not exposed culturally, right? And so, again, when I go back, I'm just like, why aren't we already doing this? And how can we expedite that? Right? Um, how can we as a community or people listening get involved to support you, Erin? Find me more opportunities to teach. You know, I mean, once again, I started this off telling you that I work for a plant. And I, it, any opportunity that I get, I mean, I'm, I'm on vacation here, but it doesn't mean that I don't have somebody coming over to talk about the possibilities of hemp here, you know, um, and find, find me the opportunity to find those entrepreneurs. Like we, we've got to build processing facilities. That's the first one. And I know for a fact between Carl and I, we can build you the best processing facility that is whole plant utilization. You know, we build the processing facilities and my vision is, is because as I explained at the early time, I was a very young entrepreneur and there was not a lot of resources. And if you give the opportunity for entrepreneurs to create, they're going to make magic. And so I, I mean, my shiny, happy vision and working on it in a couple of countries is to make processing facilities that have this incorporation with an innovation center, you know, and so that we can just give you the material. You go build. I don't need to build it for you. You go build. That's my passion. That's what I'd like to see after all this work I've done for our beautiful plant is I just would like to see human beings have the opportunity to grow it and use it and, and innovation. my most exciting part when you talk about the entrepreneurs attached to the plant and to what's coming of it is this innovation we haven't even begun to dive into right we've got a handful of products that are being made and i've said for a while if we can get processing if we can get raw material created and inputs put you know coming in then our kids can change the world with this any kid an opportunity to do this biochar to hemp to rope to textile it's just like here's your tool once again you know it's taken me a while to really truly figure out what i was doing i mean especially when i said it was almost 20 countries in 2019 and planting hemp i was like what am i doing what's going on i was like oh mama nature is giving us back our tool oh that makes a lot of sense right yes then I saw Bill also made a comment um, that we can address. It says, disruptive innovation is that which leaders in an industry cannot visualize because their existing investments filter their view. What has seen fiber that may be disrupt disruptive and lower cost? That's great. I mean, the most disruptive thing I can say is Carl's battery. You know, I mean, we can grow our own batteries and we can, you know, charge our house on our walls and everything like that. But the other thing I would say that's destructive is um, reducing the impact on the grid. Uh, just, you know, before we can build batteries into, into walls, we can actually take down the need for air conditioning in South America. We can take down the need for um, heating. I, I'm lucky enough to be good friends with Dan Lefebvre. I know you interviewed him before. And I've spent a couple of nights in his hemp house. I was actually part of the team that built the microhome. Um, but you spent in his hemp house so the first night he put on the wood fire and it was so hot we couldn't sleep in there in minus 30 and it retained its heat in minus 30 for like a week look at what that's going to change right there that is disruptive on a meet especially when we're talking about the price of fuel at the moment so so i um 
I said this for a while when people say, you know, where do I see major potential for this industry is the energy sector, you know, and, and breaking it back to just the electrical vehicles or electric vehicles and the weight of the vehicles and what's used on that power grid to charge a country only on electric vehicles, right? And what do we now need to do where the impact hemp plays in just that piece, let alone housing and transfer of energy or batteries and well i think it's kind of funny that everybody wants to move to electric vehicles and they don't i'm like where do you think you're getting the electricity from i yeah yeah i, but... I got into this with somebody the other day about steel too that you know the way that they were making steel was he was like we're just rolling it it's not energy you know it's not not a bad carbon footprint it's just energy and i was like well how is the steel made well you know we just put it through a machine and it rolls it and i was like you just don't get it. There's just a disconnect, right? And so um, it's interesting too, you know, when we talk about countries um, and we're seeing development, countries are being hit with this. We as consumers are still pretty far removed from a lot of the problems that our leaders are being, being are addressing or needing to address. And so we're starting to see it really come down from the top, right? Um, where do you see a difference when you talk about bringing a company to market versus a country to market? You said, the, you know, it's a lot like we're a global startup, but where do you see real differences and opportunity? Um, well, the opportunity would lie in, the, I mean, when the, when, I, when you asked me before what the, what the biggest um, problem is, and I said government, is that governments, um, you know, I had, a, I had a big opportunity a long time ago to work with the natural health product regulations in Canada, and I watched what they were doing, and I was educating the government versus having, like, like, if the government could go in with the experts and say, as an example, you know, Ecuador is a perfect example. They've legalized at 1% for industrial hemp. That changes the playing field for them completely. You know, Canada's still at 0.3%. We don't get the opportunity to grow the 16 foot high, gorgeous, you know, high cannabinoid plants because we have this stupid arbitrary number that has been put out there. Like that was, that was a number that was done by a scientist. That had nothing to do with the way that the plant grows. And so if a, if a country can give within their regulatory framework, the opportunity for the plant to grow, literally, <laughs> like, you know, it's that simple. And so instead of, you know, like, like, you know, in a lot of ways, I believe people should copy, copy Canada, because you know what the biggest, most successful cannabis company in the world is, they sell hemp hearts, right? It's Manitoba Harvest. So it's not, you know, the canopies and the, you know, all the other. And that's that food sector, right, that we talked about, that where we where we moved our needle and where Canada really came in and said, like, listen. This well, if you look at the difference, Australia and Canada legalized at the same time. Australia focused on fiber, which should have come second, right? And Australia's market is, I mean, there's people trying to build hemp homes and they know it's legalized in Australia, but they're importing their hemp from China or from Europe right now. That's ridiculous, right? And Canada, I mean, and, and you know, once again, um, I, I was really lucky to work with the Holmes family and understand what the, you know, the pioneers that created the food market on it and how it is, is such an important food there. Um, but yeah, but coming back to the government, Canada still doesn't have the right regulations to go, grow the right hemp. We need to move it to 1%, right? And we're still, and Canada's still at 0.3%. 
that doesn't give us, I mean, we have our own genetics. We've been doing it for a long time. Yes, we have our, you know, we have our Canadian like X59, which is the hemp heart genetic and all those other things. But we, if we want to expand this, we need to go to countries. Like I said, Ecuador is great. They legalized at 1%. You know, when Paraguay legalized, they legalized at 0.5% which gave us more opportunity to make that plant completely and totally utilized as our tool. Well, and it gives us an opportunity to look at quality and standards of fiber production at different rates or different levels of THC, right? Well, an opportunity innovation as well, because, you know, once we have this, I mean, there's, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if you've heard Carl's battery presentation, but he talks about the fact that cannabidiol can be turned into a battery as well. So if we had the opportunity to actually grow, you know, the plants that would produce CBD, 1% is not going to get anybody high and, you know, but we have this opportunity to even produce terpenes rather than using it from off waste from different, like, you know, limonene comes from the off waste from the lemon production, all those different things. If we had the, that what that wiggle room or even, you know, wiggle room, this is the one thing that actually bugs me about legalization. I've never met anybody who has accidentally smoked pot. It's available everywhere. And people, if they want it, they will find it. So why are we trying to regulate something that people will, like, they, they're not going to, like, walk in and be like, oops, I got high, and I don't want to get high. Like, like, people know this is the world's most recognized plant. Why are we regulating something like this? Okay, right? so we're almost out of time, and I want to jump into something really quick, because I don't think maybe they do. If anybody knows Aaron and Carl, you get it. These guys know so much knowledge. And Aaron, I've kind of used you as a sounding board. Somebody posted something the other day about bees and honey, and I laughed. <laughs> or bees and hemp, and I was like, oh, Aaron. And I actually reshared the articles that Carl sent me and you sent me. And so can you do me a favor? And I don't know if this can be uncomfortable. It's always uncomfortable when someone asks me. But I wanted to hear why Carl and why. Talk to me about your background. And it's easy to brag about some of Carl's, but kind of go into what some of the projects are you've done and some of the things you two have faced and what are you currently working on or projects? Where can we follow you? Um, um, so, okay. So I will say we have a website, but right now our contact form is down. So just use the email if you want to get to me. I've been trying to get it up for this info and I'm not that techie person. I plant hemp. I don't build websites. Can I, can I share your email here so people can see it? Yes, it's info at abri.org. Okay. Um, and on there, you're going to see some of the articles and you're going to see a bit of the research that we back. Um, I would highly suggest looking at um, our whole plant utilization mind map. So that is a web of everything that you can make hemp out of. Um, and we know Carl's background. My background is um, a lot of people don't know that my first innovation well, of many was I invented the world's first oral insect repellent. So I made a pill that you take and mosquitoes don't bite you. And I swear I'm born with that. I get bitten, but I've never had a, like, I don't get mosquito bites. I'm not allergic to whatever they do. You know, it was it's funny because I actually came about it with my clinic and I, I'm not a person who gets bit either. Um, but I had this idea that I could change the world. And, um, and if you give malaria is the number one killer of children in the world. So I went there. Um, and then, you know, entrepreneurs happen and things like that happen. Um, and I left that world for, uh, for hemp. And I realized this was really my tool to change the world. Um, and so I guess, 
you know, what I do now is I, I want to teach people how to cook with hemp. I want to teach people how to eat hemp. I want to teach people what it is in many different ways. And what Carl and I do with Abri is we educate. That is our, our biggest goal. You, you know, you never have to worry. If you want to call and you have a question, we're always going to be there because we work for a plant. You know, and our boss is a plant and she wants us to tell the world about it. I'm truly blessed to work with Carl and he's truly blessed to work with me, by the way, um, you know, because we have a different understanding of this plant and how to apply it to the world and how to encourage other entrepreneurs to do it. Uh, and like I said before, I mean, my experience with with launching my product was called Mozzie Q. Um, was I, I figured out every single aspect of going to market, not just the boom, we have a product. Well, now we got to get into distribution. Now we got to figure out this. Now we got to figure out this. And I just want to guide people through so it's easier for them than it was for me. Um, but I really, once again, my passion is, and I've got about my, my hands in about five different projects at the moment, is this idea of a processing facility that encourages entrepreneurs. And not to, yeah, you, you kind of said, I'm, I'm tooting my own horn. I don't think there's anybody more qualified than Carl and I in the world to build one of those facilities. And it's just because we've been there and we know it and we want to make sure and we have the right intentions. I don't want to build a facility and own it. I want to build a facility and I want the people to own it. Okay, so here's, I'm going to give something back to, I just got goosebumps because I'm, I agree with you. Um, not just you, but the people you've built your team with, right, and are surrounded with are also huge leaders in the industry from the engineering and innovation and farm and cultivation and so forth. Um, but you did something today that really humbled and made me realize that you really are in the right spot. Not that I doubted it, but it just solidifies it. When I was talking earlier about building processing on um native property or on, you know, Indian nations or with Indian nations. And you were very clear that this is about building for the people, you know? And so I go back to, you know, what is it that we're in this for? And what is the, you know, what is the true value of the plant? And I look at, you know, you've done entrepreneur, you've done big business, small business, and working with countries on all scales. And so being able to look at the industry from a completely different perspective than those that are literally in the weeds, they cannot see the trees through the forest, right? And so, or the forest through the trees, whichever way that goes. But, um, yeah, so I go back to where credit is due. Both you and Carl have done some exceptional things and are traveling all over the world teaching. Um, how can I participate? How can I join in more? I would love to, I actually sent both of you an email just now, um, but I'd love to explore getting you involved in an education committee um, for GHA where we look at you know, what are these facts and data that's been put out and what peer-reviewed data is available or what do we need to really start gathering to build these bridges and then make it accessible, like you said, so that my whole goal in doing this and, and the value part of our membership is expedite. You know, I don't want you to have to take two years to get the knowledge or the, the network that we have built, right? Let's speed that up or narrow down facts without filtering through a bunch of garbage and so well we're remembering something we're not actually doing something from scratch and so as we remember we need to share this we need to you know um we need to spread our knowledge in any way i possibly can i'm there you know one of the things i love is i mean i call us hamsters 
there's hamsters around the world. It's like, oh shit, I learned this and now I have to devote my life to it. Okay, because it makes sense. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know anytime there's someone new I talk to that's like, oh, I'm so in. I was like, all right, you're hooked. Just get on the train. Come with us. Well, the club, you're now a hamster and it's going to be a crazy ride. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's about connecting people. And I love what you're doing with the association. And, you know, what I love is every time we've had an email or we've had a conversation, you always start with you or you always end with now, how can I help you? Right. And that's what I'm, I'm the same way as how can I help you? Because this is way bigger. Once again, when I say I work for a plant, I mean it. She conscripted me and anybody who figures this out, they go, whoa, you know? And, and so it's they how do we build it too? <laughs> what? I said they drink the Kool-Aid too. Like it's once you, once you get it and everybody says that, like once you really start to see what it does, it's just like, how can I feel good about myself turning away at this point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have no choice. Okay, here I go. <laughs> you know, it was the same thing with when I found it and I figured out what it was, what it was possible on. It's like, okay, all right. And, you know, she'll guide you. This plant will guide you. This is my spiritual part is, you know, we're getting our tool back. Mother nature will never leave us behind. That's not possible because we are her, right? You know, Pachamama. You know, this is the goddess of agriculture. I wear it and I love it because what it means is, is that we're not alone. And so, yes, you know, we have this huge opportunity. Congratulations, humanity. You just got your tool back. Now, what you going to do with it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't mess it up again. <laughs> um, I see a couple of connections happening in our chat. And um, James... Doyle is, I don't know if you've already met him, Aaron, but I would love for Carl and him and you to connect. Um, yeah. He's a young kid who is um, changing the auto industry. Um, he's extremely passionate. Uh, he's extremely educated and bright and has interviewed thousands of basically anybody that should be or is well known in the auto industry, he has interviewed. And so he's looking to bring hemp into this space and build hemp batteries. So Carl, I would love to connect you with James um, because he's he's that generation we're talking about, and he's very passionate. Him and his dad have lots of great things going on. And Randall, I saw you made a connection too. If he has a website, uh, maybe I'll send out just an email intro between Carl, Randall, and James. Um, but yeah, James and his dad are doing awesome things. Okay, and a shout out to Jeremy. I've been watching him. Jeremy is one of the people on our team too, and I love him intensely. He is such an awesome person in this. So yeah, helping people, people introducing to plants. So you know, shout out to him. I love him. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? We're right at an hour, and I would love to keep talking to you, but I want you to enjoy your time and have a great day. Oh, well, no, I'd love to talk to you too. No, all I got to say is, is that we've got this, yes. you know, we got our plant back. It's going to be easy now. We got this. We just have to find ourselves and bring ourselves together and learn and grow and literally grow. It starts with the seed. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Erin. And thanks, Carl, for jump, jumping in. Jeremy as well. Um, a love for life. I wish I knew your name, but hello. <laughs> I can see your picture on there. Um, but again, Erin, if you need anything, if anybody else that's listening is looking for connections, resources, tools, education opportunities, thank you very much, Erin. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, my friend, and thank you for doing what you do. I'm seriously, I'm always amazed by you. And, you know, once again, our boss, she can be a stickler. And so, you know, maybe we'll have an employee appreciation month eventually. But thank you once again for what you do. Please, please. Here's another great project. Bobby and Peter are building uh, in, on the East Coast. Another great project to get involved in. So, Peter, let's reach out to Aaron and Carl and see if we can't get them involved. Um, Bobby's a rock star woman, too. We'll see if we can't get her on during the interview here pretty soon. Awesome. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Talk later.